Hi, I'm Terry Woods. This is a special Christmas series and part of Texas Storytellers. Oh, you know the rest. We're brought to you by Woodlands Online. You can watch us on Woodlands Online on their Roku station. You can hear us on Spotify and iHeartRadio, Stitcher and others. And we have a special sponsor for this series, Herb and Beat. I gotta tell you, this series includes another friend of mine who is a Texas storyteller, for real. And he's done some episodes of Texas Storytellers, Mark Hader. Mark Hader has written some stories, especially for Christmas, and he is going to read them. And at times, he's even going to let his wife, Kay, read some. So, without further ado, Mark Hader and his stories. And you're going to hear Kay, too. Enjoy. Welcome back. Thanks so much for showing up again. Coming from uh, uh, a book I wrote, Christmas Storybook Stories. I wrote the stories over several years for... Uh, newspapers and put them in a book. Today's is um, called Uncle Blaine's Funeral. It's um, it's a story I came up with after uh, remembering some things about my uncle. He's not Uncle Blaine in this, but uh, anyway, I I see some things about him in it. Here we go. My dad's Uncle Blaine died three weeks before Christmas of 59. The man had not occupied a great deal of my thoughts before this passing. I had once bragged to my fourth grade class that uh, I had an uncle who had been given a medal for some brave thing he did during World War II at a place called Anzio. Fortunately, no one asked me to find the place on a map. Other than the medal, all I knew of Uncle Blaine was that after he came back from the war, he started drinking and doing about everything he could to distance himself from the notion that he had ever been a hero. As far as his ten-year-old grandnephew was concerned, he had succeeded. I saw him only twice in my life. The last time was at my grandpa's funeral. Even to a youngster, it was obvious that Uncle Blaine was drunk. He didn't act sad or angry. No, Uncle Blaine was just a silly and crude drunk. However, I, I remember at the funeral when he passed by his older brother's coffin, he broke down and wept like a child. I, uh, it caught me completely by surprise, and I thought, wow, what a faker. Uncle Blaine met his maker in a VA hospital in Muskogee, Oklahoma. The only ones at his funeral were my dad and mom, my kid brother Trent, my sister Sally, me, seven uniformed soldiers, and a Church of Christ preacher. The preacher spoke of heroes and forgiveness. He never mentioned heaven or hell. As the rifles cracked into the cold, clear air, the wind cut at my face and forced tears that would not have been there otherwise. Blaine Tarver left the world owing for his own funeral, for past rent at an old boarding house south of town, and for a tab at a grocery store across the highway from the boarding house. As we were pulling out of the parking lot of the funeral home, a man stopped to talk to Dad. At the time, I wasn't sure what was discussed, but Dad took the man's name and address and left him with a promise of, I'll get to you uh, as soon as I can with this. 
My uncle's passing ended up costing Dad all the money he had and then some. To add to the cash drain, our Chevy Biscayne started making a loud knocking sound on the way home uh, from Oklahoma. Dad had to make several stops to add oil. We did make it home, but the Chevy sat cold and dead in the driveway for two months. It took Dad that long to get parts to fix the thing. Family rode to church with friends, and Dad managed to catch a ride to work with Shorty, a guy who had the same shift at the refinery. Of more importance to me about the passing of my alcoholic uncle was the fact that it ended up costing us our family Christmas, at least the gift-giving part of it. What toys Mom and Dad had placed in layaway were never claimed, and it was a year Trent and I were promised bicycles. J.C. Higgins, we'd cut the Western Auto ad out and taped it to our dresser. Sally was supposed to get a tricycle and a, a little kid oven that made tiny cakes. Not much to look forward to uh, that Christmas, and that's pretty much uh, what I was thinking as I worked in the garage on Christmas Eve night. Dad was working evening shift at the refinery and was more than glad to get a chance because working holidays paid double time. Mom, Sally, and Trent were in bed. I, I had sneaked to the garage to work on a little uh, something for Mom. We hadn't gotten an allowance since before the funeral, so whatever gift I came up with had to be crafted. I had decided to turn a discarded shampoo bottle into a vase. I had learned the process in Mrs. Branton's class. That summer, Sally had accidentally broken the vase I made Mom the previous school year, so I was sure she wanted a replacement. The project involved uh, both eggshells uh, that I got out of a, a garbage can as well as uh, uh, some glitter that I borrowed from a friend of mine's uh, sister and uh, some paint. The paint uh, from my model collection is what I used and um, with that together I decided to make mom's gift. I was putting the finishing touches on the masterpiece when I heard a car door close uh, along the street. Dad was just being dropped off from work. Eventually, he stuck his head in the garage and said, Well, I'll be. What's going on in here? He set his lunch pail on the washer and took in uh, my handiwork. Mighty fine, James. Your, your mom will love it. I smiled and shook my head. Well, I, I don't know, Daddy, but I hope so. Dad stammered a bit and eventually said, You know, son, I'm sorry about Christmas this year. Things just didn't work out. Uh... You need to know, though, that uh, your mom and I managed to scrape enough uh, together to get Trent a little toy gun and your sister a doll. Uh, figured uh, they'd take no gifts a little harder than their big brother would. Oh, that's okay, Daddy. I lied. I understand. I, I didn't get you anything either. Well, I know it's hard, he said, and then came over and put his hand on my shoulder and gave me a wink. My father was not a hugger. He asked if I was about finished in the garage, and I said, yes, sir. I'll just clean up a bit. I was going to leave it at that before uh, Dad could leave. I said, Daddy, why did you have to pay all of uh, Uncle Blaine's bills? They were not your fault, were they? Daddy stopped in his tracks and picked at an old dirt dauber's nest inside the door frame. Without looking up, he began telling me of a Christmas right after the war when Uncle Blaine visited at the old house in Bristow. It had been a hard year for my dad, he said. Your grandmother uh, had been uh, sick for weeks. We had nothing left from the year's sharecropping. We were out of everything but debt. <laughs> he looked at me and grinned, kind of like now. Anyway, 
The day before Christmas, Blaine drove up in a new used Plymouth. Surprised the daylights out of us. Grandpa had written him probably twice since he returned from Europe, but we hadn't seen or heard from him. Yes, sir, Uncle Blaine brought in a big old ham and four big boxes of groceries. He gave my dad a carton of tobacco and my mom a big box of chocolates that stayed in the box till she felt up to eating it. And best of all, he gave me my pocket knife with the deer head on it. Dad slapped it uh, his pocket. Dad shook his head and continued. Blaine left Christmas Day. The next morning, my dad found a wad of money stuffed in uh, his work boot. It was enough to get us through a pretty tough time. Uncle Blaine did that? So I guess you felt like you, you owed him, Daddy? Dad got real serious all of a sudden and made me stop my cleaning up. He put his hand on my shoulder again and told me that it had nothing to do with owing. It had everything to do with family. That Uncle Blaine was his father's brother and that no amount of bad behavior changed that. And that it's, it, it's not a matter of owing, it's just a matter of doing. He said he never managed to help his uncle when he was alive and it was the least he could do to pay off his debts when he died. It was what needed doing. That Christmas, Trent got his toy pistol and Sally her Raggedy Ann doll. Mom got a silly looking shampoo bottle vase and my daddy got nothing. Dad had lied about one thing though. He lied about me not getting anything. When I opened the small box that he handed me, I found the old pocket knife, the one with the deer head engraved into the handle. With no thought to it, I, I reached up and hugged my daddy. He didn't resist. After our Christmas meal of baked chicken and beans, I asked my dad what it was that made Uncle Blaine go bad. Never forgot what he said. He said, James, I think the devil works hard, extra hard, to get at the heroes among us. That's what he said. It was the Christmas of 59, the Christmas of Uncle Blaine, surely not the best of our family Christmases, but the one I remember best. Thank you all for listening. By the way, my uncle wasn't uh, any of these things. He was a hero, and he was uh, kind and helpful to so many. I uh, created the character in this book because uh, I thought it touching. Hello, you are in for such a treat uh, this morning. Instead of listening to me read this story, <laughs> I got my wife, Kay. Oh, what a peach. Anyway, and she can read. She can read uh, better than me. But I'm getting ready to have her read this particular story, which is, uh, it's a dandy. But right now I need to get her buns in here. Kay, if you don't mind. Okay, Sweet Pea, I need you to sit right here. All right. Hello, I'm Kay Hader, and I'm going to read to you Evie gets arrested. The Stewarts quit having kids after Evie. They always wanted a girl, and on the fifth try, they got one. Evie came into the world as Eva Harper Stewart. We called her Evie. I started it. I'm Matthew. I'm Matthew. Evie calls me Maffy. Fortunately, she's the only one who does. From the minute she entered our house on Pinewood Lane, everyone just seemed to perk up. 
Evie could win you with a smile and own you with the capture of your hand. Go with me, Maffy. I want to show you a bug on the twee out back. By the time she was five, Evie's vocabulary was better than twice her age. I had four years on her, but I could not begin to place words in a sentence like my little sister. I remember at supper time, a couple of days before Christmas, Mom called for her to come to the table. We were all seated and ready to chow down. Daddy was about to call out for Evie when she presented herself at the end of the hallway. With hands on her hips and a slight tilt of the head, this kindergarten-aged kid said, Mother, I will be dining in my room this evening. Seems your son Samuel has made me cross. I am not joking. We all managed to hold our laps back for about three seconds. Daddy was the first to break, and we all joined in. After a bit of calm, Evie said, Mother, I am quite serious about this. Daddy, feigning outrage, demanded to know what our big brother Sammy had done to make Evie cross. Sammy said, Ah, Daddy, Evie wants me to be in her Christmas production tomorrow night. She thinks that if she gets me roped in, Eddie and Matt will join in. We don't want to. It's a lot cuter with just her and Johnny. Sammy was referring to something that Evie had dreamed up the year before. It was Christmas Eve of 57 when she, with Johnny's help, put on a Christmas program for the family. Evie's first Christmas program involved Santa getting his sleigh stuck in a snowdrift in Oklahoma. Oklahoma! It seems that this little oaky girl who couldn't sleep looks out and sees Santa trying to get his red wagon, uh, sleigh, out of the snow. Our kid brother Johnny played Santa. He had a taped-on handkerchief beard and Sammy's red flannel shirt. Looked just like a cross between Kris Kringle and a scarecrow. The story ended with us all wishing the sleigh free. We had to close our eyes and everything. It was right out of Peter Pan, I'm pretty sure. When Santa got free, we all had to sing Jingle Bells. It was sappy as all get out, and everyone loved it. Of course, three of Evie's older brothers didn't love it enough to want to participate in the program the following year, and we didn't. But Evie and Johnny managed to make the Christmas program a tradition, and each year the program became a bit more sophisticated. In fact, it got so good that we would have some aunts and uncles over. Evie actually sent out invitations. It was not until the Christmas of 63 that she got all her brothers to participate. It was the month after Kennedy died. The Christmas spirit seemed somewhat at low ebb, did for us, did for the neighborhood. Few even put up lights that year. Of course, I don't think the Palmers took their lights down from the previous year, so they were well lit. It was in this atmosphere that a 10-year-old little girl with red curly hair, freckles, and eyes as green as a Sprite can talked her big brother into helping her and Johnny put on the Christmas show. Naturally, with Sammy on board, Eddie and I followed. It was the show of shows. Evie decided that we would parody every Christmas TV show we had seen. 
We started with Lawrence Welk. Evie was Lawrence and her brothers were the lovely Lennon sisters. It was pretty embarrassing at first, but people were laughing so hard that we hammed it up beyond our ability to ham. Next, Evie and Johnny did a spoof on the real McCoys at Christmas time. Evie played Grandpa and Johnny was little Luke. It was beyond silly and I thought Aunt Charlotte was going to pass out from laughing. Let's see. We also did a Lucy and Desi Christmas skit. Evie was, of course, Lucy. Sammy played Desi. And I was Fred, and Eddie had to play Ethel. It was a riot. After that, we all sat back and watched Evie do some Red Skelton and Jack Benny impersonations. The girl could do anything. To prove the point, when she finished with her routines, she announced that we were all going caroling around the neighborhood. Oh, no, we're not, each brother announced almost simultaneously. Evie instantly walked over to Daddy, took his hand, and said, Father, I think your help is required. Daddy took one look at his little girl and said, Okay, everybody outside. The Stewarts are going caroling. And we did. The Rogers caught us first. Harold Rogers opened the door at the start of our second song. The entire Rogers family was standing on the porch by the end. Evie handed each member a sheet of lyrics and said, Would you care to join us, please? Mother gave an encouraging nod to Mrs. Rogers, and the woman urged her family off the porch and towards the next house. Well, by the time we got to the last house on the block, we were 50 strong. We even sang some songs not on the sheet, butchered the lyrics, but no one seemed to mind. The entire neighborhood felt like family that night. We were closer to one another than we had ever been. The merriment was finally ended when a squad car drove up. Someone had called the cops. A police officer walked up and gave a stern look that appeared more pasted on than real. Okay, what's going on here? Who's responsible for this riot? The adults moved out of the way, leaving the kids up close to witness the proceedings. Mr. Mallory, the owner of the house on the corner, pointed to Evie and hollered, It's her, officer. She's the one. I think you ought to run her in. Officer Briarly looked down at little Evie and said, What do you have to say for yourself, little lady? Evie looked up, caught the man's wink, held her hands out and said, I think you ought to run me in, officer. Officer Briarly looked over at my mom. She grinned and shrugged her shoulders. Briarly nodded. Okay, little missy, I'm going to take you in, all right. I always cuff the tough guys and toss them into the back seat. But if you'll promise not to give me any trouble, I'll let you ride in the front. Evie frowned and said, No promises, officer. I'm in a wild mood. There's no telling what I might do. You'd better cuff me. Again, Briarly looked over at Mom. Cuffer, she said. The cuffs were too big to lock on Evie's wrist, so she had to keep her hands held up to keep them from falling off. Okay, young lady, I'm going to still put you in the front seat next to me, but I want one of your brothers in the back seat just in case you get a wild idea. He turned and deputized me on the spot. With car lights flashing, Officer Briarly drove slowly around the block. As he pulled into our driveway, he let his siren blare for a few seconds and then walked around and opened the doors for Evie and me. 
I was pretty sure Evie's door was unlocked, but she wanted to be let out just like she was really arrested. My door locked automatically, so I couldn't try to escape. By the way, I don't mean to say anything disparaging about Mr. Briarly, but the back seat of his cop car really stank. Briarly recovered his cuffs and then with his made-up mean look said, I don't want to see an unlawful assembly like this one again, Evie Stewart. Unless you've got plans for New Year's Eve party, I could let that go. We could call it New Year's Evie. Evie pinched lightly on her chin as if she were in deep thought. You may be pushing it a bit, Officer Briarly, she said. With that, she shook hands with the officer and wished him a Merry Christmas. Then she said, Next time I'm arrested, I hope it's by you, Officer Briarly. Briarly grinned big, rebelted his cuffs, and climbed back into the squad car. He then rolled down his window and said, Evie, I'll see you and Matthew in church on Sunday. Matthew, try to keep her out of trouble between now and then, okay? I told him I didn't have much hope for that, but I would try. He smiled big. Okay, kiddos, have fun. It's about time for me to get home myself. Evie shouted, You be safe, Mr. Briarly. Uh, I mean, Officer Briarly. And would you do the siren again, please, sir? Briarly let the siren blare until he was out of the neighborhood. It was the perfect ending to the best Christmas program Evie ever put on, at least up to that time. There have been three or four since then that would have knocked your socks off. The Godfather Christmas party was my particular favorite. Evie got the Best Actor Award that year. She played Sunny. No question, that girl carried the show. I got Brando's part as Santa Corleone. The play would have gone even better had we not gotten so tickled during our scenes. I defy you not to laugh when my kid sister acts like Sonny Corleone. The girl kept in character the entire next day to the opening of Gifts and Beyond. The season of Christmas has been the best of times for my family. Evie has certainly seen to that. Every family needs an Evie. If you don't have one in your family, you need to take on the role yourself. You don't have to put on a play or even throw a big party. You just need to shine. Well, I'll tell you, those are some good stories. And Woodlands Online is very, very proud to bring them to you. They're also proud to have a fine sponsor, Urban Beat. Oh, and I want to tell you a little bit more about them, so I'm going to put my spectacles on. Urban Beat partners with local farms and vendors for the freshest food possible. It's located at 448 Sawdust Road, the Woodlands, Texas, on the corner of Sawdust Road and Booty Road. Now go check them out and come back for another episode of our special Christmas story series. Goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.